Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East. We put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts. The current session of the St. Louis Board of Aldermen has been held almost entirely online, and Bill Stevens says that has made the process of governing a lot nastier. The 12th Ward Alderman joins us on the latest episode of Politically Speaking. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Rachel Lippman. And joining me today on Zoom is... Alderman Bill Stevens of the 12th Ward. And uh, Alderman Stevens, this is your first time on the show. And we usually give first-time guests a little bit of the time to introduce yourself. So uh, tell us what you think people need to know about Alderman Bill Stevens as, as a person. Alderman Bill Stevens as a person. Well. Growing up, I had a, a sort of dualistic childhood, both in uh, Hazelwood, Missouri, and then also Marquand, Missouri. So down near Fredericktown or Farmington, for those of us who aren't familiar, um, you know, firefighter family on one side, lumberjack family on the other, education up here, weekends, weeks, summers down there. Uh, and, you know, being only one of two in my immediate family to graduate high school, uh, public service, is where it's at for me. So I'm all about serving the public in whichever capacity I can, always finding an avenue for public service um, and just trying to leave this world a bit of a better place, both our city, state, country and, and world. And I was perusing your Facebook page earlier today, at least the parts that you have public, and it looks like you're into both weaving and rugby. How did you pick up those interests? You know, I truly believe that this is our one shot at life. So I... I wanna live it to the fullest. And actually up until I went to college, Webster University um, for my undergrad 1.0, I'm currently doing undergrad 2.0 at SLU. Um, I felt like my life in my early adulthood was a game of catch up that I was trying to catch up and make up for a lost childhood. You know, if it's weaving, knitting, I love folk crafts. I love anything to do with my hands, ceramic, sculpting um, to rugby. You know, because I never thought I could play rugby. And it turns out I'm actually pretty fast once I get going. I don't play anymore, but I'm still very uh, faithful to the sport. And uh, yeah. 
And, and before we, we uh, started recording, you talked a little bit about wanting to be in the foreign service. What attracted you to, to, that, to that potential role? You know, I fundamentally believe that every day, thousands, if not tens of thousands of Americans are born, but they just haven't come home yet. And I think that is what makes our nation so absolutely incredible and so great. We're not a melting pot. And I'm stealing this from Alderwoman of the First, Sharon Tyus, so I have to cite my source, but we are not a melting pot in the United States. We're a stew where you can still tell a potato is a potato and you can still tell that a carrot's a carrot, but it still makes for a hearty, nutritious, heartwarming meal. So the Foreign Service appealed to me because I wanted to represent America's interests abroad um, and the values that I have come to support, uh, that I have pledged an oath to and in public office, and to help bring those Americans who may have been born but just haven't come home yet, home. And on a day when the high is, I think, 15 degrees, a good old American <laughs> stew of whatever variety sounds delicious. Uh, before you decided to run for the Board of Aldermen, you were working with the library and sort of other youth service areas. What inspired you to want to make politics a full-time career? To work in a public library or really any public service capacity, be it civil service or sort of more quasi-private sector, such as libraries and museums, is to see every branch of life, right? So everyone uses the public library, but you see the barriers that people come up against. So at St. Louis Public Library, I uh, specifically worked as an, um, on the early childhood outreach team, specializing in early childhood literacy and language acquisition. And the predominant facet of that was doing story times at daycares all across St. Louis. I mostly had a, a presence in South City, but I was all over the city doing this. And I would go from one daycare that could, that was very well-funded, very prestigious, had language programs for their children and immediately go to one where they had to use paper towels because they couldn't afford paper plates. And seeing that stark separation, you know, that, that stark inequity of opportunities is really what got me on the track to run for public office. Um, and then a lot of it paralleled my own experiences in childhood. I, I did have a very difficult childhood uh, for a multitude of reasons. And I believe that we have to try and make it better, not for just ourselves, but for those that are going to follow us. Because what I do right now in office, no matter how brief or how long it is, is going to have a lasting impact on generations to come. And that is a very, very heavy mantle to bear. The ward that you represent, the 12th ward, was the last one to have a Republican representative. And this has been within the past 15, 20 years. How is it that the ward has shifted that a gay man is now representing that ward? Well, a gay atheist man, no less, in, uh, in South City, St. Louis. You know, that is a question that's been posed quite frequently. And I, I always have to come back at it with, St. Louis is a different city, a completely different city and a completely different identity than merely five years ago, 10 years ago, especially 15 years ago. And I believe one could argue that truly the United States or if not even the world is completely different. What with the advent of uh, social media, start cultural shifts, various, um, various 
climate related issues that we're now seeing the effects of. So I think that in politics, the adage that is most applicable is that one must strike while the iron is hot. And here I was, yes, as an openly atheist, yes, as an openly gay man in a very uh, perhaps more conservative ward, a very Catholic or at least Christian ward, um, asking them to vest their, their trust in me, you know, to represent 12,000 souls. And I led with those facets. And then I immediately changed the conversation to the issues that we currently face. And I led with my heart. You know, I'm going to be genuine. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to try and make this better, you know, not to be a broken record, but <laughs> truly that is what gets me out of bed every day, the opportunity to help elevate. And I was elected. It blew my mind. So <laughs> Take me to that night when you realized, oh man, I'm going to, to 1200 market to sit in that chamber or I think you've been in the chamber once since you were elected, but you know, to <laughs> yeah. sit on the Zoom meetings and represent the 12th Ward, what was that night like? By that point, it's the, no matter what happens, come what may, it is the end of the campaign at least. I personally was resigned. I was like, okay, I believe that I was the best candidate. Um, but perhaps not the candidate that was necessary for Ward 12 at this time. Um, uh, I'm not one for blind optimism. And when it finally came through, you just, you just sit back and you put your, your head in your hand and you think, I did it. You were also uh, a target or supported by the flip the board effort. And I'm wondering how you see you and your now expanded caucus of progressive colleagues, maybe in ways that even, you know, avid watchers of the board of aldermen don't see in, in working to kind of shape and push policy in the future of St. Louis. The flip the board was another sort of current in this fast paced river that is running a campaign for the first time. And you're trying to learn how to be a candidate and run a campaign while all these other facets are also getting thrown at you. So Flip the Board did help quite a bit in that it came with a lot of campaign prep once it was announced. Um, it wasn't until after I declared my candidacy that suddenly I was part of this Flip the Board movement or this progressive block. Um, one key point that I made in my campaign was not to say that I was a Republican or a Democrat or a progressive or a perhaps traditionalist, um, whatever, or a status quo, whatever the opposite of a progressive is, um, but to say that I'm your neighbor. I do not consider myself uh, a bona fide progressive or one way or the other. When I go to the polls as private citizen, Bill Stevens, I absolutely have my stances and so on and so forth, but I'm elected to represent it currently 12,000 constituents from all walks of life. And at times that, that does mean having to break uh, from what might be considered more progressive. 
So when you got elected, you boosted the numbers in two unofficial but important caucuses. The first is the uh, male ponytail caucus. I think it's just you and Alderman Gunther who are currently members of that. Um, is there any friendly competition in terms of, I think yours is longer, but is there any sort of like friendly competition going on there in terms of craziest style you can put it in or anything like that? I don't know that I've admitted this to him. I have admitted it to others, but just as a person, not just as an alderman or elected official, but just as a person, Dan Gunther is everyone's older brother, or you want him to be your older brother, but I do have the longer hair. Um, so there is no competition necessarily. He's more apt to wear it down than I am. As you can see on the Zoom, I always, almost always keep it up in a bun. Uh, I grow mine out to donate and uh, we're coming up on a, another donation, so keep your eyes peeled, St. Louis, uh, for a for a loss of this caucus member. But uh, I, it is a, a fun little tidbit at the board. The other caucus that expanded with your election was an LGBTQ caucus in the city. Uh, for a long time, it was Alderman Cohn as the lone member of that. And I'm wondering what it means to have even one or two more individuals who identify as members of the LGBTQ caucus having seats as elected officials. I have always looked up to Alderman Cohn. I uh, looked up to Shane and that he was the first openly gay uh, openly LGBT legislator in the city of St. Louis. And I remember when he was first elected, I, as a teenager, thought like, oh, maybe that could be me one day. And well, I mean, here we are now doing this interview. So a <laughs> uh, little prescience on my part. But what I try to impress upon everyone and what I've always tried to press upon others in, in my professional career um, Something that is very supported and upheld by public libraries, I should note, is that representation absolutely matters. You know, it's not just having another member of the LGBT community uh, at the Board of Aldermen. It's also having uh, a new alderwoman, Alderwoman Sweet Tea, Tina Peel of the 17th Ward, is an adopted daughter of transracial parents. People can see themselves in that people can see themselves in an LGBT legislator. And I absolutely, during the campaign, had people reach out and say, I see myself in my community and you. And it's, you know, Ms. Lippman, it's both heartwarming to receive those messages or the ones that we keep close to our hearts on those days where we're like, why did I run for office? But it's also almost scary because everything I do reflects on the LGBT community. Uh, so the representation is so key, is so key that we see ourselves in book characters, in media, in politicians, in civil servants. And for so long, Alderman Cohen had to shoulder that on behalf of the community alone. So I, I, I'm so honored to be standing alongside him now in this capacity and to be part of this LGBTQ uh, caucus. Uh, avid watchers of the Board of Aldermen would have heard last week that you helped Alderwoman Sharon Tyus, you and your partner, uh, hotwire her car because her fob had run out. And, and I knew I was going to be speaking to you for Politically Speaking, and I'm like, I have to get him to tell me 
this story. I do have to uh, offer one small correction to Aldro Matthias. We didn't hotwire her car. I do not know how to hotwire a car. What it is, is she has a, uh, a key fob to start her car. So it's a, a push to start. What had happened in that situation was, you know, Casey and I were just, uh, my, my fiance and I were running into city hall just to check the mailboxes and whatnot. And saw Aldro Matthias half out of her car, uh, fiddling around with what looked like the steering wheel. And turns out her key fob had died. Uh, so the little the little battery. And unbeknownst to Casey or I, behind that little button is actually a manual start. And everything was very hidden. So behind the button and in the key fob, there's a secret key. Uh, so we were helping her get the cover off of that. And by we, I mean Casey, because I didn't want to be another cook in the kitchen. Casey, of course, has all the multi-tools. My contribution to that situation was when Aldo Matthias accidentally cut herself on the multi-tool um, and Damon notice because she is not one to be bogged down by small inconveniences such as actively bleeding, you know. Uh, I ran into um, the records division of the comptroller's office actually and got band-aids for her. So that was truly my only contribution. Casey was the real savior of the day. Um, but it's not as glamorous uh, as thinking that we were under the hood, you know, touching the right wires together or anything like that. And we'll be right back after this quick break. And we're back on Politically Speaking with 12th Ward Alderman Bill Stevens. And Alderman Stevens, I know you haven't introduced legislation yet, but when you do finally have a germ of an idea for a bill, what do you think or hope that it is? Well, I have had quite a few ideas for, for board bills, uh, but mostly I, I get beaten to the punch, right? <laughs> so I want to champion green legislation. And St. Louis is so uniquely poised to really be a regional leader in green policy. Everything from supporting our pollinators by, say, uh, amending the ordinances regarding noxious weeds to allow for weeds that really aren't noxious, they're maybe not as aesthetically pleasing, but they support our natural biodiversity, to legislating that, oh, 1% of each city park or upwards of 10% of all city green spaces be converted to solar panel farms that plug directly into the grid and with the goal of lowering prices, uh, utility prices for our citizens. But drafting legislation is, of course, complicated, very nuanced, and you have to get all these cooks in the kitchen because you need everyone who specializes in one ingredient that's going to go into this overall recipe. In two years has not been, you know, I'm only about a year in. Um, I've only got two years of this term before we have a full re-election of the legislative branch, but uh, it's just not enough time to get those projects off the ground. It is enough time to initiate them, to move that Overton window, to so move the public's uh, appreciation of the issue, and to get things in motion. I just want to point out that, yes, I know in my head that you and the other aldermen took office in April, but it is not registering to me that that was almost a year ago. <laughs> oh, you're telling me. <laughs> oh, you're telling me. <laughs> What are some 
of the needs you have identified in the 12th ward specifically? So the 12th ward notably has quite a bit of the river to pair that runs through it, which of course is owned by the Metropolitan Sewer District. I do think that we're ripe for partnerships with the 11th ward, the current 11th ward, soon to be the first ward. So that is when the iron will be hot uh, to start using or addressing river related legislation. Because I have to consider as the 12th ward alderman with the river to pair in his ward, that all drainage from say Wilmore Park, which drains directly into the river to pair, then consequently drains directly into Mississippi. I think water related environmental legislation is uniquely important to the 12th ward. I also think that our geographic location being the border with city uh, or between the city and county is also something that needs to be uh, better prioritized. And I, I have had discussions with County Executive Sam Page, Dr. Sam Page, and how we can have South City, South County collaborative measures, be they environmental, be they uh, in terms of public safety, or be they just helping to bridge this Weber divide, as I call it. Weber Road is my southernmost border, where most don't even realize that we go south of River to Pear. I had no idea either. Like I said, you learn all sorts of, of tidbits on the show. When you were campaigning, you said that you um, wouldn't incentivize businesses in areas of the city that didn't need it. Um, what would be something that you would incentivize? So the 12th Ward is primarily and almost exclusively residential. So I, I will admit that my, uh, my familiarity or sort of the lens through which I approach legislation uh, is different than those who have very business heavy areas like the 17th Ward, for example. However, I don't believe that economic development needs to come at the cost of our public schools or of tax revenue because it's not just public schools, but it's general tax revenue. And, you know, I, I've always supported tax incentives for say small local mom and pop businesses. So I think in the 12th Ward, we need a recentering on local, uh, local support, local businesses, local. There's a long-standing tradition at the board that gets called aldermanic courtesy. And it's the idea that aldermen know what is best for their ward, especially when it comes to development. You hear this a lot. And you support what they think is best for their ward. How do you work to recenter that conversation and that discussion when you may philosophically disagree with incentivizing something they think is necessary in their ward? We have experts in economics. We have experts in economic development, in building code, in X, Y, Z, so on and so forth. So I, I do disagree with the alderman being sort of the head of ultimately what is a little fiefdom, right? I don't believe elected officials should have any say in what business goes in. And I don't think that we should be complicit through this notion of aldermanic courtesy that you know, that we end up supporting it. Tradition, or my most hated phrase, the way we've always done it, has proven much more difficult to change, even with the Progressive Caucus. It is absolutely a source of frustration that I haven't been able to, to sort of be the banner for, uh, for rallying around 
questioning whether or not these tips and tax abatements or automatic courtesy as just a general ethos is necessary or productive for the board. So that that is a regret of my first year in office. What else has been sort of the biggest learning curve as you see how the board operates and how you get to what is seen on the floor? The sort of bits that you just accrue over time through experience, that is quite the learning experience. Um, I was already familiar enough with Robert's Rules, (laughs) everyone's favorite parliamentarian process, that the procedural nature of things wasn't necessarily a shock. I think the steepest learning curve has been not only being a, an elected official in the, in the modern era, but being an elected official during a pandemic, uh, a digital elected official, I suppose, that has been difficult because myself and my, my fellow newly electeds or first, uh, first termers, I suppose we should say, don't have the experience of, of being in the chambers and being able to move around and actually get to know our colleagues or to speak with our colleagues behind the scenes. So really everything uh, is happening in the public view. I've been kind of wondering about how, you know, how you resolve sort of misunderstandings, ask questions, like how you think that has impacted the legislating that the board has been able to do over the course of of two years of virtual meetings. I think it's easier to be a bit more vicious when there's a screen separating you and the person that you're, you're directing your viciousness at, right? And I don't think that's only for the Board of Aldermen. I think that's for other various uh, elected bodies or um, civil service bodies in the city. And I think it's just social media as a whole. It has been difficult to resolve some of those disagreements. You obviously have an interest in youth issues and you are on the Education and Youth Matters Committee. Uh, Obviously, aldermen don't have much say over the public schools or any say at all, but what are you hoping that you can maybe work on or work with other aldermen on to, you know, secure some of your legislative priorities or to help boost the school system in the city? I think to be an elected official, a public servant in this capacity cannot, cannot only be legislation or writing laws or reviewing ordinances. It has to be encouraging the heart as well, the heart and soul of the city, the hearts and souls of our constituents, and truly embodying the ideals of, of, in this case, St. Louis. So I think in terms of education youth matters uh, committee, as well as public schools, encouraging the heart with the public and with elected officials in Jefferson City is the route that we have to go. And I've recently done that actually by going to Jefferson City to hand deliver uh, Resolution 65, a call a moratorium for opening new schools in the city of St. Louis, pending a uh, citywide plan for education and speaking, you know, speaking to the heart and not just the data. If I could summarize what it is to be a public official an elected official in 10 words or less, it would be putting the people behind the data or seeing the people behind the data and viewing both equally. And I think that's where the work needs to be done for our public schools. 
What would you want to see the city of St. Louis and the SLPS board put into that citywide plan for education? Oh boy, how long do we have? <laughs> I think the current board of education um, is doing a phenomenal job sort of uh, keeping the, not only the youth, not only the students, but their families and their, their well-being at the center of the conversation, sort of caring for the whole person. And I, I think that they're focused on not only the education aspect, but uh, housing instability, you know, addressing trauma-related uh, challenges, addressing food insecurity, addressing all these things that come together to, to you know, allow us uh, our health and safety is paramount. And I, I do think that the Board of Education is doing a phenomenal job. I would like to focus not just with Education Youth Mayor's Committee, not just with St. Louis Public Schools, but with the city of St. Louis, addressing and challenging this inferiority complex that we have. And I, I believe that it's so deeply ingrained in our local culture, our local spirit, that it's, it's insidious, you know? All right, Alderman Stevens, anything else that you want to make sure people know about you or the, the mighty 12th Ward of the city of St. Louis? Ultimately, I am but a, a drop in the pan of this city's history and the city's future. Please do not consider it Bill Stevens at the Board of Aldermen, but rather the 12th Ward Alderman and future um, upcoming the first Ward Alderman or Alderwoman and consider that anyone has the capacity to make in effect change. So that is what I would have people know. And on that lovely note, I will let you know that you can find all of our stories online at stlpr.org. I am on Twitter at R Lipman. That is two P's and two N's. Alderman Stevens, where can people find you? Various forms of social media are the best way to reach out to you. Well, I can also be found on Twitter at uh, the letter B Sting, S-T-I-N-G, S-T-L a throwback to my uh, my fierce love of bees, or at 12th Ward Alderman Bill Stevens on Facebook. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is part of the University of Missouri system. Until next time, everyone, so long. <laughs>